So we're going to continue this week uh, where we left off with last week's message. Uh, take a hard look at Jesus. Take a hard look at Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. We'll begin reading in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, and uh, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer as we approach the word of God. Father, we come to you in the name which is above every other name. That name means more to us than any other human name. That name, Father, we thank you for the power in the name of Jesus, and that when we come to you in his name, you hear us every single time. That when we look to you by the blood of Jesus, and we come to you by the blood of Jesus, that you have given us by his very life poured out for us access to yourself, access to your uh, room where you dwell. Father, right into your presence. We come right now by the blood of Jesus and in his name. We thank you, Father, for your word, that your word uh, doesn't turn old or doesn't fade away, but that your word is forever and forever, and that your word endures all time and endures all changes and all seasons, that your word will never fail, that your word will never change, that your word will never uh, <clears throat> let us down, that we can stand firm upon your word, and your word always brings us life brings us understanding when we receive it. So, Father, I pray right now for every one of us, Father, that you'll uh, help us to open our hearts to what your Spirit's saying, to what your Word is declaring, to the reality and the truth of who you are and who you have made us to be. Without you, Father, we see nothing and know nothing, but with you, Father, it's a whole new world open to us. We thank you for the opening of your words the entrance of your words into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to begin reading in uh, the King James, and then I'm going to read in a couple other translations. Uh, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, or Jesus Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Amplified says, So then, brethren, consecrated and set apart for God, who share in the heavenly calling, thoughtfully and attentively consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confessed as ours when we embraced the Christian faith. Message. My, my current favorite on this one. So, my dear Christian friends, companions in following the call to the heights, take a good hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe. If you want to know what we believe, take a good hard look at Jesus. He is the centerpiece. He is the center of everything we believe. If you ever feel like you're getting kind of wayward in your Christian walk or where do I go? What should I do? What should I uh, read this morning? Take a good hard look at Jesus because if you ever see Jesus, you'll never be the same again. If you ever really see him uh, the way that you can only see when God opens that vision up to you, you will be forever changed. Your life will have a new impetus and your life will have a new spark about it because when we see Jesus, we see life itself and we see abundant life that only comes from God. So we're going to continue this morning 
taking a good, hard look at Jesus, right? So there's a lot of other things you can look at. There's a lot of other places your mind can be. There's a lot of other things in life that we have to take care of and tend to. But the number one thing that we are to attend to, or you could say like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so how are we going to do that? Well, we got to look to Jesus, consider Jesus, looking to Jesus, Hebrews says a little further on, the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, he is the one that started this faith journey or this life of faith or this life where we don't depend upon ourselves, but we depend upon God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is a life of freedom. If you're living life any other way, that you're just, well, I can make it happen for myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Uh, you know, your arm is going to come up short at some point in your life. If you haven't already experienced it, you probably are pretty young. <laughs> because uh, the arm of the flesh only has so much strength and so much ability. But God is from everlasting to everlasting or from eternity to eternity. There is no end to his strength. There is no end to his wisdom. If you get wisdom from him, it is eternal wisdom that goes beyond what natural indicators could even communicate to you. It goes beyond science. Science is just here and now, and science only knows what science knows. You know, I heard um, Kenneth Hagin, my favorite definition of a theory comes from Kenneth Hagin, right? So they have like the Pythagorean theorem, and they have different theories, different things like that. And uh, his definition of a theory is, uh, I want to say it really slow so you can get it. It is a supposition established upon ignorance of the subject under discussion, that's my theory, right? So you got a theory, it's a supposition, and that supposition is established upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. So, you're, so what you're saying is, I really don't know how this works, but I'm going to have a thought and I'm going to tell you how this works. This is my theory, right? And then you go out in science to try to uh, prove that theory. Uh, and so, but God, Jesus said, well, you know, uh, or it says of Jesus, right here in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2, that he formed the world and created the world. Like, we're talking about the one who created uh, everything that scientists would use to try to determine how things work, right? And so even in, uh, was it chapter 3, where, you know, it's talking about Jesus and Moses and how Jesus is so much greater than Moses, uh, because Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus built the house, right? And so we thank God for Moses, uh, but Jesus is so much greater than, uh, than Moses. And we talked about last week how uh, in Hebrews here, the writer goes through, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, you know, like Jesus, who in the beginning, you know, he's greater uh, than the prophets, who the Spirit himself moved upon, uh, to write the very words and to prophesy and to be the spiritual leaders uh, of the time when they lived, that Jesus is greater than them. And then he went on to say, Jesus is even greater than the angels. And because why? Well, because the angels are ministering spirits, 
really, Hebrews tells us, sent to minister for those who are heirs of salvation. That is for every believer. Every believer is an heir of salvation. Or in other words, you have an inheritance of salvation that belongs to you, and you get to like partake of it as soon as you receive Jesus. You begin to partake of it. And then he goes on to say there in chapter 3 that Jesus is even greater than Moses. And we talked last week, well, maybe to the Western mind that doesn't make as much sense as it made to the Eastern mind because uh, in that time, in the Jewish culture, you understand the law was given to Moses and God spoke face to face with Moses. He never did that. He might have spoken a vision with a prophet in the past before that, uh, different ways, but he never spoke face to face until he spoke like that with Moses. So uh, they esteemed, the Hebrews esteemed the word of Moses even higher than the words of angels. Well, uh, here the Holy Spirit lays out through the Apostle Paul that Jesus was, was greater than all of these. Like in other words, hey, let me explain to you who has come. Consider him or look to him or take a good hard look at Jesus. Well, one of the reasons I believe that the Lord put this on my heart to minister is because as soon as you start to see Jesus for who he really is, and you start to comprehend and apprehend his heart of love for you and what he's done for you, what he's done for me, what he's done for all of mankind, even those that are far, far off. They are far from God, and they are, they are far away from the things of God. But Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So look at that right there. Look at that. Consider that. Take a good hard look at that. Just that right there. While men were sinners, Christ died for them. So let me tell you something about the character of God. God's relationship with you, God's view of you, God's thoughts about you, are not based upon your earthly mistakes and actions and sins and the pattern of, you know, like you, you look at yourself that way and the devil tries to uh, bar you in or put you in that prison of your mistakes and your failures and your uh, flesh consciousness. Woo! Good thing we're social distancing because I just really spit, let me tell you. Okay, so the devil tries to like bar you in and he will use... He will use your mistakes to magnify his message that he has for you, which is you are not good enough. You are not worth enough. No one really cares about you. No one knows about you. But Jesus came and Romans 3.23, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or Christ, the godly, died for the ungodly, right? And so, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for us. I like to think about it like this. When I was committing the worst acts, doing the worst things, putting my mind on the worst things, um, thinking about the worst things, acting out the worst things, Jesus saw that ahead of time because He is eternal. He is outside of time and He looked to this point in time or that point in time, whenever that was happening in your life, he looked at that point in time and he saw you and he did not condemn you and he did not turn away from you, but he looked full face on you and said, I love that young girl. I love that young boy. I love that old man. I love that old woman. I am not going to sit up here in heaven 
and let them live under that condemnation, under that consciousness of sins, under that burden where their nature doesn't even give them the ability to overcome it. I'm going to come myself and I'm going to enter the realm of time. I'm going to enter the realm of the natural. I'm going to experience the, the things that pull on them and I'm going to live a perfect life so I can sever that connection of sin from their life. I'm going to change their uh, fathership and I'm going to make God their father. I'm going to be a joint heir with them. I'm going to be their Lord and their master so that I can protect and provide and surround them like a shield. Amen. Jesus is awesome. And so take a good hard look at Jesus, the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith. And so I begin to go through last week. We begin to go through um, several things just from the book of Hebrews. I started in verse one, Hebrews one, one. Uh, we started there and uh, kind of went down through. And, you know, I only got through uh, maybe um, nine of them last week. And I think in, in the list that I made for the message, uh, I put a, I put 33 down. And that's only from chapter one, verse one through chapter two, verse 11. Now, judging by the um, tone of my wife's laugh, uh, I maybe need to clarify, we probably won't get through all 33 today. The point is that there is so much to Jesus. And the more that we look at him through what the word illustrates for us or through what the word shows us, the, the more you realize who he is. Just that one thing that we just started with in Romans, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? Think about that for a second. Think about that. If you received some of those things that were said right then in your heart, then there is faith present concerning those things. In other words, if you experience any of those things, I know none of you have. So when I experience those things, when I have experienced those things, right? Okay. When we have experienced those things, you act in faith. In other words, this is reality and this is what God has said. So this is true. So now, if I experience condemnation, and instead of looking at the condemnation, I can look at the condemnation remover. I can look at, you know, the spot remover, the blood of Jesus and Jesus and what he's done. So I consider him and I look to him instead of considering that. You know, I, I encourage people, you know, if we sin, if we sin, that's speaking to believers, if we sin, like, uh, if you walk outside today and trip, pick yourself up or try not to fall if you do it. So my expectation is that you're not going to do it. But if you happen to do it, right, then this is what you do. So 1 John 1, 9 says, if we sin, if you happen to sin, he is, uh, if we confess our sins, rather, he is faithful and just. Uh, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So if we sin, we have an advocate right before that with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In other words, everything about Jesus is right. And everything about Jesus is favored of God, right? Well, we become his righteousness. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus or in our union with him. We have received the very rightness of God 
or everything that's right about God, we received in Jesus in our connection and union with him. So the second, how'd you get to be righteous? Well, I got born again and then a new nature and life flow just came into me and recreated me and something new, a being that never existed before, brand new, came in. I became a brand new being. If any man, uh, back up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to verse 17, a couple verses, if any man be in union with Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Take a look and see. Stop and think about it. Everything has become brand new. Everything has become brand new. Behold, all things are brand new. But if you're going to look at your flesh and what you did or what sometimes you do uh, when you get entrapped by the devil or you just uh, yield to the flesh uh, for whatever reason, if you're going to focus on that, you're going to go the wrong direction. Like the story I tell about when I learned to drive my little uh, 1984 Ford Escort. You know, and I'm driving by myself. First car, so happy. I'm driving by myself. Mom and dad are not in the car. I'm in the car. I'm driving. I drive a quarter mile down our road. I take a right and I drive a tenth of a mile. So I am what? Less than a mile from my house. And I turn the radio dial. And when I do it, I'm an inexperienced driver. So I look down and I turn that dial to the right to turn it up. And when I did that, and I thought, okay, that's where I want it. And I looked up, and the highway is headed this way, but I am looking this way. And what should be in front of me is yellow lines on the left, white line on the right. But what is in front of me is white line in the middle <laughs> and rough shoulder on the right. And on the left, you know, just the, the, the lane where your wheels path. Why? Because... I went towards where I was looking. What role, so even in the, the, the long version of this series, we're talking about, you know, Jesus, when uh, he was lifted up on the cross, was like Moses uh, lifted up on the pole. That was an example of Christ lifted up on the cross. In the Old Testament, when, you know, put a, the snakes were biting him and they were all dying, and, you know, he got a word from the Lord, and the Lord said, hey, put this serpent on a pole, and whoever looks will live. Because the Old Testament is great examples, vivid pictures for us uh, in the New Testament. And so that was an example of Christ, uh, that Christ would die on that cross. And on that cross, if anyone looked to him on that cross uh, with a steady, absorbent, attentive gaze, they would live. In other words, you're not just like haphazardly like, oh, yeah, that's nice. No, you are taking it all in. You're looking and taking it all in. And so Hebrews uh, chapter 3 here, take a good hard look at Jesus. Take a good hard look at Jesus. Uh, we're going to pick up. So I did the first uh, nine last week, I think. And um, I'll just recap those super quick. I won't probably comment on them uh, uh, unless I get an unction from the Lord to do that. And then we'll just pick up uh, with number 10. So uh, verse 2, uh, Jesus uh, we're look, taking a hard look at him. He is the heir of all things. In other words, everything belongs to him. He, he gets everything. Everything belongs to him. Number two, God made the worlds by him. So the worlds that we see, the worlds, I don't want to go there, but the worlds, there's the plural there, right? Uh, were made by him. He is the brightness of the glory of God. Number three, or you could say he perfectly mirrors God. 
right? Uh, number four, he is the express image of the person of God. If you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. If you, that's why Jesus was saying, if you're not accepting me, why do you think you can go to the Father? Because they're like, well, we don't know about you, but we love God, right? And he's saying, no, you don't love God. Uh, apparently, you don't know who you're loving because I am the image of God shown up in human flesh. If you want to know what God looks like, what he acts like, what he thinks like, what he smells like, you got to look at me, right? Jesus, I'm talking about. The express image of God's person. Uh, message translation actually says he is stamped with the nature of God. Jesus is stamped with the nature of God. Well, what did he do? He went about teaching, preaching, and healing all that were what? Oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. So we know that sickness and disease is an oppression of the devil. Not from God, but from the devil. And you can know that just by looking in Genesis. Before sin entered the world and death by sin, there was no sickness and no disease. Once the devil is locked up for all eternity, uh, over in the book of Revelation, we find out there is no sickness, no disease, no tears, no dying, right? So somewhere in between there, what happened? Uh, Satan uh, tempted mankind. Mankind gave into that temptation and then death entered the world by sin. And sickness is really just the beginnings of death, right? If sickness doesn't get stopped, somehow it's going to lead to death. Most of the time it gets stopped. But sometimes if it doesn't get stopped, it's going to lead to death, right? So Jesus came to annihilate the work of the devil. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, Jesus said, uh, the thief has just, he's come but for two. What does that mean? The reason he came, he didn't come for any other reason. So the devil comes to you talking all these things, saying, I, I came to, to give you opportunity. I came to give you wisdom. I came to give you all this. He is a stinking, dirty liar. And he has not come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. So don't cozy up with the enemy. Somebody said, well, I would never cozy up with the enemy. Well, sometimes your flesh wants to cozy up with the enemy because the enemy uh, entices you and makes things uh, look like they not, not actually are. I'm speaking in um, the Young's literal translation or uh, the interlinear. He, he, he makes things look more appealing than what they really are. In other words, uh, I've noticed that many times the enemy stops your ability to see the end of your action. He wants you just to look at the here and now. Where God said, I, I want you, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that I'll even show you things to come. Right? So the enemy, the enemy wants you to just get caught up with the here and the now. You know, you know he does this through worry and anxiety, through thoughts, uh, you know, so many times through uh, news media, right? He's using uh, information sources to try to get a grip on you and to try to uh, chain you up and imprison you with these thoughts. You know, uh, Jesus, I, I, it keeps coming up all day today, uh, but Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 6, he said, like, consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor or toil, yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. 
Now, now listen to this. This is Jesus talking. Again, it's not, it's not in, the, in the Hebrews chapter here, but, it, but it's the same. How much more valuable, valuable are you than they? How much more valuable are you than they? So even that, take a good hard look at that. Jesus said, you are so much more valuable than the lilies of the field who God takes care of and dresses them up with greater extravagance and beauty than any human could try to dress themselves up, right? Jesus said, how much more valuable are you than they? So you learn something about God the Father and you learn something about Jesus by finding out you have greater value than any other created thing on the earth, than the lilies of the field, than the birds of the air, in other words, than the animals and the plants, even as beautiful as they can be, even as intricate as maybe they were designed, you are more valuable than them. You have more value than them. Hallelujah. If, and God still takes care of them. But Jesus said, how much more will he take care of you? It's not saying God doesn't care about them, but how much more? What is man, Hebrews says, uh, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would visit him? You made him a little lower than, you know, a lot of translations. I know the King James and also the Message translation, they do not translate the next word right. It said a little lower than angels. That is not what it says in the original Greek. The Greek actually says you have made him a little lower than Elohim. And Elohim is the same word used in uh, Genesis chapter 1 that says in the beginning Elohim created. In other words, Elohim is uh, a word that denotes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, God himself. And God has made man a little lower or a shade lower than himself. Well, the natural mind, if you try to receive that with your natural mind, it'll blow it, right? You know, somebody said, you know, if all your brains were dynamite, it wouldn't be enough to blow your nose, right? <laughs> well, we can go beyond all of our brains, right? We can go and get the very wisdom of God, and that is in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we look at Him, and we uh, engage and attentively, expectantly. In other words, when I look to Him, I'm expecting to receive, right? So if I'm in a restaurant, and uh, which I haven't been in a, quite a long time, <laughs> but if I'm in a restaurant, and I ask the waiter, hey, would you mind uh, getting me some uh, more water? And uh, they bring me some more water. As soon as I catch their eye, they catch my eye. If they got a tray with water on it, I'm looking him, looking at him, expecting to receive. Why? Because I have talked to him about the water. He has told me I am here to help you. I'll go get you some water. And then he comes and I look at him. And when I look at him, I notice he has water. And so I'm expecting to receive that water because I know he is a servant and a giver, right? So I know that waiter is a servant and a giver. Naturally speaking, how much more is Jesus the perfect waiter and the perfect servant? He said, he said let him that lead, what? Serve. He said, I have come to serve. And so what? What's he serving? 
He's serving up all of the things of the kingdom of God. There's a song that says, There is a table spread where the saints of God are fed. Come and dine, come and dine. Right? That's talking about Psalm 23. That he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. But if we are sitting at the table with the feast that he has prepared for us, and we choose to look away from the feast, and we look at the enemies that are around us, just like I'm driving that little Ford Escort, you're going to begin heading in that direction. And you'll say, I've got protection right here on the table. I think I should eat some of that. But then all of a sudden, I start to look away, and I see this fear of attack. And when I see that fear of attack, I take my eyes and fix my gaze off of the protection, and I have fixed my gaze upon the destruction. I have fixed my gaze upon all of the avenues of possibility that evil can come to me. All the ways that something could steal from me, all the ways that I could be killed, all the ways that something could be destroyed. So now my thought life is engaged over here when my thought life should be engaged, engaged over here with my gaze upon Jesus. Or I should be taking a good hard look at Jesus. Don't take a good hard look at these other things. You can notice them all right, but you fix your gaze on Jesus. In other words, yeah, I see that I know about that but my eyes are fixed on Jesus so I'm not going off the road so I learned in driving that you're not supposed to like look down ever really you're supposed to look ahead you keep your eyes fixed on the road in fact as I look ahead on the road I'm trying to teach my daughter this. I'm teaching her to drive a little bit, uh, you know, in Minnesota in the, in the winter. We went up there at Christmas time, and she's always wanting to learn how to drive, and, you know, she's a little bit young for that, but, but anyhow. Uh, so we're in this parking lot, and there's lots of snow, and I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to teach her a little bit of ice and snow. And so I told her, I said, now look, you, you don't look right in front of the car. If you look right in front of the car, you're going to go all squirrely like this. But if you keep your gaze fixed down the road, you look down the road, it's like automatic you stay between those lines. Like you don't even have to think about it. It just happens because you got your gaze in the right place. Well, if you take your gaze and you fix it on Jesus, your whole life will come in right between the lines and you'll go down the smooth road instead of getting off on the shoulder or heaven forbid going into the other lane and hitting somebody head on you'll go down the lane that God has designed for your life and everything else will just fall right in line and I remember when I first learned to drive I was like you know I, I, I like I, I like to think things through and test them out. And so I'm like, how can that work? How does that actually work? And so I did it and I'm like, it works. It, it really works. Because somebody, I think my dad told me that. Somebody else, I'm like, you know, as a young person, you're, you're kind of like, well, I'm sure dad knows that. But you know, he's older, you know, about the age I am now, probably. <laughs> so old. It's so young, really. And so, uh, so I'm thinking, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me just do it for myself. I'll just figure it out for myself. You know, if you listen to the wisdom of some people, you can, you can save a lot of money and uh, save a lot of heartache and do different things. And the wisdom that you need to listen to is the wisdom that comes from Jesus Christ because he is 
the personification of the wisdom of God. And that wisdom will always lead you right. And that wisdom will make you rich. And that wisdom will bring protection for you. And that wisdom will have things prepared ahead of time before you even get into the bad situation. That wisdom has already stood guard about your life to make a way where with man there was no way because with God all things are possible to him that believes. So we take a good hard look at Jesus. We look at Jesus and we look down that path and we look down that road and then everything else just 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 lines right up and it takes all the pressure off. In other words, Hebrews chapter 4, if we ever get down that far. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4. I love Hebrews chapter 4 because uh, I, I, I love to work hard. And so because I love to work hard, I, I had to learn, and I'm still learning it, uh, that my hard work is not how or why, it's not how I get close to God, and it's not why God loves me. So it's not based upon works. And, you know, I say I, but... Whether anybody will admit it or not, or maybe everybody will admit it or not, all human flesh tries to uh, get what they feel they deserve, and they try to make it so they deserve something, right? So all flesh wants to be made right by what they do. Well, can't you see what I've done? So I deserve this. Can't you see what I've done? So I deserve this. Well, in the things of God and, and those type of things, what we deserve is not heaven, because we're all sinners. But Christ died for us. Because he died for us. Because he set his love upon us. Because we are the joy of his existence. Right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because of that, none of those sins, none of those mistakes, none of that pride, all of that, that is taken off of us. What we deserve because of our actions we don't get because Jesus took it himself. He took it on himself so that we didn't have to have it. In other words, the reason he, he intervened and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. I see, this, I see this guillotine coming down to cut them up. I see this coming down. He said, I'm stopping it with my own self because I want to take the penalty. I want to take the consequence of their actions. Because, Father, you know I love them, and I know you love them, so I'm going to put myself in their place. So he said to the executioner, you have to stop, because I have legal authority to command you to stop, because I have committed no sins. Yet, because I have committed no sins, I have great freedom to come and take the penalty for everything that they did, right? And so, I think about it sometimes, I think about... Um, I was talking to my wife this morning and I said, I said, what's a melody? What, what do you think is a good illustration for, uh, you know, the blood of Jesus paying the price? And so we were discussing it and, uh, there, there's so many things you could illustrate it with, but I think maybe people could grab hold of this. And that is if you have financial debt, you owe money, right? And so you have spent money and, and you probably got a loan of some type. And you overspent it, or you just spent what you agreed to spend, but still you have this 
debt, right? You have this money that you owe. And maybe you have a large amount of money that you owe, and you don't even know how in the world can I ever repay that. It's going to take my whole life to repay it. I just have to not think about it because it's going to take my whole life to repay it, right? And uh, I'm not really talking about a house in the D.C. area, but anyhow. And so, so the thing about it is you, you have this massive amount of debt, and the debtors are saying, hey, hey, you owe us this money. And then someone comes who has all the money in the world, and they say, you know what? I know they owe all of that. How much do they owe? And so the debtor figures it up. And then this wealthy person comes and says, I'm going to pay every bit of it so that they don't have anything left, nothing to their account. So then you find that out. What happens to your attitude and your outlook? Well, all of a sudden, the weight, sometimes if you've ever been, if you've ever been in debt to the point where uh, you know, you can't really afford to buy food to eat, right? Well, then maybe you're more familiar with the burden of debt than what other people may be. You know, maybe you call it bad debt or, you know, just it's, it's debt that you, you all of a sudden you're trying to figure out, okay, I can't pay this uh, and this, so I can only pay this. So what, what do I do? Well, that, man, that can be a heavy weight. That can be a heavy, heavy burden. And uh, Jesus said, I don't want you to live like that. Well, if you think about it, the weight and the debt of your trying to perform and trying to be good enough and trying to be accepted enough, like, well, maybe if I do this, they'll like me. Oh, maybe if I do this, you know, and what people do is that they, they put that, they attribute that to the Lord. Well, well, if I pray enough, then, then, then he'll do something for me. And if I, if I read the word enough, that's the thing. I just haven't been reading the word enough. And if I read the word enough, if I read more, then he'll provide for me and, and he'll give me finance. Or if I read the word enough, then maybe he'll talk to me. Maybe he'll speak to me. Well, that mindset actually comes from uh, self-righteousness or in other words, works that you're doing to try to make yourself good enough or try to make yourself acceptable to God. And Jesus came to become our righteousness. In other words, we rest upon everything right that he did. And he said, I took all that and I'm going to give it to you, right? I'm going to pay your debt. So you don't have to try to do all these things right. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you read the word, see, Jesus said, be careful how you hear and what you hear. So this is vitally important, okay? Because... If you don't hear with the ear of faith or trusting in God, you won't receive faith because faith comes by hearing or attentively listening and attentively listening to what God is saying to your heart, right? To what he's putting in your heart. So if I hear what the word of God is saying and the way I hear it is, okay, uh, this is another notch in my belt, so I'm going to read the word so that God is happy that I read the word because, you know, I read a chapter today. So he's real happy I read a chapter today. So that's going to make him like me more. That's going to make him do more stuff for me. And um, that's going to put me in his better graces, so to speak. Well, no, 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 no. When you actually begin to hear the word, you get a vision of the grace of God or you get a vision of of how good God is because he is freely giving you gifts, not based on what you have done, but just because he is love and he is good. 
And so you begin to see that and you begin to let that enter into your heart. That is where faith comes from because faith is looking at Jesus. So if I'm receiving it like, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, that is not looking to Jesus, that's looking to me. So even though it could be the exact same scriptures, those won't gain entrance to my heart because I have to really hear what the word is saying or attentively listen to it. And if you attentively, if you ever uh, take the step of attentively listening to the word of God, you will never be the same because what the word is and what the word contains will become part of who you are. It becomes part of your being. He becomes part of your being. And when he becomes part of your being, his very life begins to show up in parts of your life. And the more that you give him access by yielding to him and looking to him, the more freely he can flow through your life. So what happens? Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Well, your mind has lots of thoughts and the devil wants to use your mind against you. But if you let your mind be completely transformed by attentively listening to what God's word is saying to you, faith will come and that process transforms your natural mind or your natural thinking. So now once you receive those things in your heart, your actions automatically spring from there. Right? So you look to this, you look to the word on the pole, right? You look to Christ and you look with an attentive, expectant gaze with your heart open to receive. You're expecting to receive. He's coming to serve you that water, right? That refreshing. And when you look to receive from him, it flows right in, right? It opens up. You open up the door. If I'm in the middle of a conversation, I don't like to be interrupted in a conversation. I don't like to be interrupted when I'm praying. So if I'm in the middle of a conversation and the waiter brings it, I may not even realize he's there because I'm not expectantly looking for that. I'm talking to this other person, right? And so if he's there, then I'll, sometimes the person I'm eating with will say, uh, you know, hey, and so I'll look, oh, and then I look and I'm ready to receive. But sometimes, depending on the restaurant, until I look to receive, that waiter is not going to interrupt because he, he's learned, um, the word just left me. I want to say politeness or morals, but that's not the right word. Uh, not being rude. What is that? <laughs> manners. He knows good manners. <laughs> right? And so because he's a perfect gentleman, the Holy Spirit will not force you, yet he has the very thing that you're desiring. He has it right there. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, thank God for the word. Thank God for Jesus. Um, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number 15. I know I skipped all those other ones. says, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. What does that mean? Well, I like message translation. It says, your rule makes everything right. Your rule makes everything right. I just skipped ahead because that's where I'm going to finish. Okay? Your rule makes everything right. That's saying the rule of Jesus Christ makes everything right. So he makes everything right. 
the scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of righteousness, or the scepter was what the king would have. It was his sign of authority. And man, you wanted him to let down his scepter when you came in, because if he didn't let down his scepter in some kingdoms, you could be killed. You come in uninvited. But Jesus' scepter is a scepter of righteousness, and his rule makes everything right. Think about that for a second. Let that enter into your heart. His rule makes everything right. Why? You know what? It is not right that Satan tempted man, man gave into it, and sin entered the world. That is not the plan of God. That is not uh, the reason that God created us, was not so that we could be pushed away from him, but he created us so that we could forever walk and talk with him, be with him, be close to him, and be part of his family. And so Jesus saw that, and he said, you know what? I'm going to come, and I'm going to make that right. And that's exactly what he did. He came, and he came, and he made it right. But that rightness, or to, for that to be corrected, that is not automatic, even though Jesus has already done it. He's done everything that was necessary to make us right with him to remove all sin from us, to remove all uh, sin consciousness from us. In other words, sometimes uh, you sin and mess up, and then you ask somebody to forgive you, they forgive you, but you don't sin forgive yourself. And so you have this dark cloud, so to speak, over you of the consciousness of how you messed up, and you won't even forgive yourself. Well, if God forgives you, who are you to not forgive you? Right? I mean, the one who, just, who judges perfectly and rightly and clearly... He has forgiven you. Why? Well, you know, the thing about it is when we don't forgive ourselves, we're really kind of trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus saying like, well, it's not worth that much because I am so amazing that I could sin greater than the power of the blood to, to take it away, right? Well, no, we would never say that, but our actions are saying that. Uh, you know, you have to locate yourself sometimes by what you believe or by what you're doing. You know, faith without works is dead. What you're doing is what you actually believe. So if you're acting like you're less than, if you're acting like you're a mess up, but you say, oh, I receive what Jesus did. No, you don't actually receive it. And that's a great, I love that because that's a great indicator that you're not receiving from your heart. You haven't opened your heart. You're doing it from your mind, your reasoning and your flesh. And you're trying to approach God that way. So that's an indicator. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't Bible faith. This is like works I'm trying to do myself or what we call self-righteousness. And so you, you get pushed away from God that way. You don't come into the presence of God that way. You come into the presence because you are relying 100% on what Jesus did. In other words, the only reason I can be here is because I am stained by the blood. I got these stains on me. And they're from the blood of Jesus. And those stains remove the very consciousness of sin. Remove sin consciousness itself. Amen? Well, Psalm chapter 107, verse 4 through 9. I'm going I'm to paraphrase this. Psalm 107, verse 4 through 9 in the message translation. says, Some of you wandered for years in the desert, looking but not finding a good place to live, staggering and stumbling on the brink of exhaustion, you called out to God. He put your feet on a wonderful road that took you straight to good places to live. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry 
with good things. You know, I want to ask you right now, if you've never received Jesus, or maybe you have, maybe you've been a believer for a long time, I want to ask you to think about your life right now. I want you to consider the ways of your life, the direction of your life, the outcome of your life. You know, Hebrews talks about, uh, uh, I think in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, consider these men and women of faith. Look at them. See the outcome of their way of life. Or in the, in the New Living Translation, it says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. So I want you not to think about the here and now at this moment. I want you to look down the road. I want you to look and I want you to consider when you've lived a full life on earth, what do you want to have accomplished? What do you, what do you want to be, have been said about you? What kind of legacy do you want to live, leave on the earth? What do you want people to remember? Do you want everything you've done just to be gone and, and, and just a, a distant memory and say, oh, yeah, I might have heard of that name before. I'm not really sure. I don't know what they did. Or do you want your life to be the way of faith so that actually you leave an inheritance of faith in the earth and you have an inheritance in heaven because of the relationships that you have because of your way of faith. The Bible says, look at these men and women of God and consider the outcome of their decision to not live for themselves, but to live for Jesus. Look at the impact of their lives. Do you know that your life can leave ripples beyond the time when you walk on this earth? That your life can leave ripples of life that affect other lives, that affect other lives, that affect other lives. In other words, no matter whether you think you're famous or nobody knows who you are, if your life is not a life of faith, it will not leave ripples much beyond today. Do you know, do you know that guy that lived 350 years ago over in um, England? Do you know the one I'm talking about? I don't either. I have no idea who he is. Right? But I'll tell you what. I know a man. Well, I don't know him personally. But I read after a man by the name of Charles Finney. Who in the 17 and 1800s, like, had all of these revivals, all of these things. What? What was the point of that? Just to have a lot of people? No. Because what happened is... Uh, Kenneth Hagin called him the greatest revivalist since the Apostle Paul, right? In other words, this man, God used this man to bring so many people back to God and into the family of God, more probably than since the Apostle Paul, and he influenced all of these men and women that we hear about even today. I call that some ripples. Or look at the ripples of the Apostle Paul. Or look at the ripples of Jesus, right? And so that that life that they lived was not a life lived for themselves, but it was a life lived for God. And that life lived for God goes on and on and on and on. 
and you know, you bring many to salvation and you have such a reward that goes beyond any, you know, it's not like somebody, okay, I'll give you a bunch of money because you did this. No, this is worth more than any amount of money. This thing, this thing satisfies like money never can. Money never will. Jesus is the only true satisfaction. And once you, uh, if you really know him, you have to give him away. You have to give him to others. And so uh, consider the trajectory of your life. Consider the direction of your life. And don't let yourself wander in the desert anymore. Don't walk where there's desert places, but there is a good place to live. And God has set out a good place of, to, for you to live. Don't stagger and stumble through life. You know, you can set your gaze on Jesus and you can go down that road and you can have a smooth sailing road. And it doesn't matter what comes. If there's something in the road, you just go right over it because your gaze is fixed on Jesus. But you get your gaze on other things. You'll stumble. uh, You may wreck. You may have difficulties. You may hurt someone else. But if you keep your gaze fixed on Jesus, I'll tell you what, he will make pools of water and fountains of water in every wilderness place. That road, you may go into a wilderness with that road, but there'll be provision in the wilderness. You you may go to the mountains on that road, but there'll be provisions on the mountain. Wherever you go, there'll be that road set before you that was paved by the blood of Jesus that makes a way where there's no way with man. You can't put a road through there. Jesus already put a road through there. It is possible because Jesus did it and Jesus loves you. So I want you right now uh, to, from your heart, if you need to close your eyes and bow your head in order to, to focus on the Lord, I want you to do that. And I want you to consider the trajectory of your life. Where's your life headed? Where are the things that you're doing now, where are they taking you? Are they taking you where you want to go? Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and make a decision for him today. Listen, you're listening to this or watching this for a reason. It is not by accident. It is not a mistake. God has caused you to come across this and to listen to this and to see this and to hear this. And he does not want you to keep living the way you're living. But not because he's mean or evil or he doesn't want you to have fun. No, he wants you to have something that uh, the kind of fun that actually satisfies beyond the here and the now. I am I am uh, getting drunk all I want to get drunk. I am sleeping around all I want to sleep around. I am doing all the sinning I want to do because why? I don't want to do those things. I have a desire that came from God himself on the inside of me. And that desire is only satisfied with himself and with bringing him to other people. And that thing satisfies more than anything in the flesh ever has the ability to do. It doesn't even compare. It's not even a comparison, right? And so consider your life. And I want to invite you right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you're a believer, I'm going to to talk to you in a second. But right now, if you're not a believer, you never received Jesus Christ. The only way to have true life satisfaction that goes beyond the here and the now. And there are no hangovers with this. The only way to do that is to receive the life of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's very simple to do. You have to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and say with your mouth that he is your Lord and you'll be saved. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to pray with me from your heart. After me, I'll I'll say it and you repeat it. And then I want you to pray from your heart and you'll receive Jesus and your whole life will be changed. But I want you to make a decision here in three seconds. 
And I want you to decide, I am going to live for Jesus. I'm not going this way any longer. I'm not going to live by all the things that my head says. I'm following what uh, God is doing in my heart right now. Ready? Three, two, one. Decide. All right, you make that decision. Now pray with me. Say, oh God, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and with my sins. And that he took them away from me. And that you raised him from the dead. So that for all time and for eternity, my sins would be removed from me. Jesus, I take you as my Lord. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live my life for you every day. I thank you that I am now born again in the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you have just begun a new life. You have been recreated on the inside. Uh, Your body didn't change on the outside, but let me tell you, the core of who you are just changed. Like I was talking about, you're driving down the road, you're looking down the road, and everything just kind of comes in line. If you look down the road, now you're looking to the right place. Just keep looking to the right place. Amen. If, uh, you know, you prayed with us, email us at info at anchordc.org so we can pray with you and for you or fill out the form on the uh, church online if that's how you're seeing this or hearing this. And I want to talk to you, though, that are believers. If maybe you're like, man, I'm going down a different route. I need, I need to make a change. You know what? The Lord will give you repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that you may escape the snare of the devil because maybe you've been taken captive at him, uh, you know, because he's trying to captivate you, right? Well, so all you got to do is you just say, I'm going to make a change. You look at the course of your life, look at the direction, say, you know, I'm not satisfied with that. Lord, I'm turning your direction. I'm going to go your way. So I want you to say that with me right now, if that's you. Um, you know, from your heart, uh, just say this after me, say, father, God, I got distracted looking at the wrong thing. I asked you to forgive me. I'm deciding right now, uh, that I'm going the direction of you. I'm going to look to Jesus and I'm not going to look back. So I'm going to change what I'm doing by looking at him and I'm going to let everything else Just fall in line. I thank you that you forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I'm on the right path now. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't that simple? Uh, The things that God are simple. You know, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. If it's it's weighty and heavy uh, from the Lord, then you know it's, it's, uh, it's not of him. In fact, that's why condemnation, all those things you know are not from the Lord. Because uh, his yoke is easy and his burdens light. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I encourage you this week and really your whole life. Look to Jesus in every situation. Just look to him. Cast your gaze upon him. Keep a hard look at Jesus, right? Your gaze fixed hard upon him uh, because he is the only source of life and freedom. And he, he wants you to live free and he wants you to live an abundant life. He said, that's the whole reason I came. 
The whole reason I came is for you to live a good, abundant life. And the only way that you'll do that, remember, the only way you'll do that is looking to Him and taking what you see and giving it to other people. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You that you're, the entrance of Your words, it gives us light, that Your words, uh, as we know them, that they set us free. Thank You for setting us free. Thank You that Jesus did the work for us and that we simply uh, stand in His work and his victory and his freedom. It is for freedom that you set us free. Thank you that you set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Actually, I want to pray one other prayer for you. Uh, Father, I pray for every one of us that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, that the eyes of our understanding would be flooded with light, that we would know the hope of your calling and the inheritance that we have in your kingdom, with every other believer. In Jesus' name, amen.